0: Well, happy new year to you all. Thank you very much. I started, the, uh, I started the new year by getting a cold. And so for the last couple of days that my family was here, I was sick in bed, not able to do anything. My grandson is bouncing around saying, Pappas, come play with me. And I was like, Ugh. and then he wanted to wrestle on the floor and so I'd wrestle with him for five minutes and then I was totally exhausted and he thought he beat me up. So he'll remember forever that he beat his papa's up, and I'm not going to tell him that it was because I was exhausted from my cold. I'll just let him think that he's stronger and mightier than me. It's not going to be true, but he's going to think it's true. There is going to be a memorial service for Lloyd Fike next Saturday morning at 10 a.m., and watch for an email in terms of directions on how to get to the funeral home where uh, that funeral will take place. I also wanted to mention that there is a vision setting session that is going to take place on January 16th at 8.30, from 8.30 to 11.30 in the morning. On January 16th, I'd love for you to set that in your calendar and say, I'm going to go and I'm going to work on helping the church to set its vision for its ministry for the coming year. And we'd love to have you be part of that. Uh, If there's a way for you to be part, please come and give your voice to it and be part of what we're doing on January 16th. And that's from 8.30 in the morning until 11.30. And you'll be blessed if you do that. And then Kevin Clark asked me to announce that if you are participating in the reading through the Bible this year, the daily Bible readings, that if you haven't yet paid for the daily Bible that you got from him, he would love to have you pay for that. And so uh, I don't know how many of... There are out there who still need to pay for the daily Bibles that they got from Kevin Clark, but if you got one of those chronological Bibles, if you would give him your money, he would appreciate it, and that would be great. So again, how are we doing? Did you say not good or good? It's good? Okay. Excellent. I've had a little PowerPoint trouble this morning, but hopefully that's over. We're about to see whether or not that's over. 70 to 85% of young people leave the church. Some return, many don't. I have seen this statistic many times listed this way, that 85% of the young people who grew up in the church leave the church never to come back. Recently, someone who was quite astute at evaluating churches, Ed Stepser, said that he doesn't think that's true. He thinks that it's only 70%. And he also said that he thinks that two-thirds of those will eventually make their way back. And he didn't say make their way back forever, but he did say make their way back at least once. And so Ed Stetzer says 70% of the young people are going to leave the church, uh, or are leaving the church, and then at some point they're going to make their way back. And I do hope it's true. I hope they do make their way back. We'll have to see. You know, in our church right now, I'm really blessed the way things are going in terms of our young people. We have a good teen group here, a young, good young people's group. We are certainly maintaining way more than, uh, than 30% of our young people right now, and I'm grateful for that. It hasn't always been the case, but it is the case right now, and God has blessed us, and so that, for that, I'm very grateful. The reason I bring this up is because it shows how much our faith is at risk, these days, we live in a time when our faith is constantly challenged by our world. And constantly challenged not just by our world, but sometimes by ourselves. You have your own questions about faith. And for me to say that there is someone sitting here today who has questions about who God is or questions about their faith, the truth of it all, I mean, we would all say, well, of course. There are people here today who have questions about faith and questions about truth. What's interesting is how many of our young people stand in that exact position. Recently, Ed Stetzer, again, this person who is quite authoritative when it talks about churches and, and how they're doing, did a, a, a quite an exhaustive study about why it is that young people do, in fact, leave the church. And he discovered some things like... Life changes or situations will oftentimes cause young people to leave the church. And so they simply want to break free from the church. Maybe they were raised in the church and they're just after a while say, you know what, I've done this my whole life, I'm going to take a break here sometimes they move to university or college. And when they get there, they don't find the same kind of loving community that they had before. They don't have the same kind of relationships. And so it's easier for them to just stay in bed because all of their peers are just staying in bed on a Sunday morning. Or their work makes it impossible for them and difficult to attend. And certainly somebody who's in university or college, if they're working at the same time, they're probably studying their head off, and then at the same time working, it's difficult to make that choice to get up on a Sunday morning and go to church, and so sometimes they just slowly drop out. So life changes situations sometimes cause that. They also sometimes have dropped out because of their church or church staff. Now, I have a confession to make. See where it says, or church staff there on the screen? In the original, it said they dropped out because of their church or their pastor, and I just couldn't take it. And so I changed the wording. And I thought, I'm going to at least unload some of this responsibility on Dustin. And, if I'm, and I can even unload some of that responsibility on the church secretary. It's the church staff. Now, I also thought, if I would have just left it pastors, then I would just say, well, it's the elders' fault. Okay? So I'm trying to get out of my responsibility here. But that's what it said originally. They dropped out because of their church or pastor. So churchmen, and, and by the way, these, you'll notice the pastor's not in any of these three below, okay, at least not specifically worded. It says they dropped out because church members seem judgmental or hypocritical. Now, the fact is that could be the pastor who also is judgmental or hypocritical, but it doesn't specifically say that. Okay, then it says they didn't feel connected to the people at their church. Again, that could be the pastor, but it doesn't specifically say that. It could be that all the po- fingers are pointing at you, not me. Church members were unfriendly and unwelcoming, okay? Could be that it was the pastor who was that way, or it could be that it's just the church. So sometimes they just said, you know what? I, I don't really like the church. I don't get along so well with the church. The church hasn't treated me all that well. Then some sort of change in religious, ethical, social, or political beliefs have taken place. And so sometimes... Younger people suddenly, uh, after reading a book or maybe watching some documentary or just over time talking with friends, decide that they just believe things differently. They don't see things as they used to see them, and it causes them to make a decision oftentimes to leave church. Now, these aren't all the reasons. I don't think this is, you know, this certainly is an exhaustive list, but this is what Ed Stetzer said he thinks are the major reasons why young people today would say, it's time for me to leave the church. And in some kind of summary way, he looked at this question. What if we change it not so much from church, what if we change it from church attendance to the question of personal faith? What about the personal faith of young people? Why is it that some young people say, I I, I no longer have a personal faith in Jesus? And he would say that in that case, their own personal faith wasn't meaningful enough to allow them to overcome their circumstances. So the problem is not so much what the church did to them or didn't do for them. It's more a question of what didn't develop within them, where they didn't have their own personal faith. Maybe what they still had was their parents' faith. But they didn't necessarily have their own. And so, relocating and work hours don't necessarily impact those with their own mature faith. When someone with mature faith finds the church hypocritical or they are not connected or don't feel welcome, they don't drop out of church they find a new church. So there are those who do drop out completely, but not those who have their own mature faith. If they find something dissatisfactory with the church, they find a new church. Those who drop out completely are those who didn't have some kind of mature, developed faith going on within them. Now, I'd like to just for a second... Reflect on those you know who've left church. Now, somebody here, you're going to be able to think, you know, I I remember so-and-so used to be here. And they've dropped out. What's the reason? Do these things fit? Or do they fit for you? Good questions, I think, to ask at the beginning of the year. Let me read a quote from Ed Stetzer. Again, this authority on churches and why people are in churches and why they leave churches. He says, the reason that many church-attending young adults stopped going to church upon graduating from high school is something like this. Their faith just wasn't personally meaningful to them. They did not have first-hand faith. The church had not become a valued and valuable expression in their lives, one that impacts how they live and how they relate and how they grow. Church was perhaps something their parents wanted them to do. They may have grown up in the church, and perhaps they faced pressure from parents. It even appears to be involved in church, but it wasn't a first-hand faith. We cannot posture our student ministries to think like and act like a four-year-old holding tank, a four-year-long holding tank with pizza. And so he says there's got to be something more that the church offers to young people than just their parents' faith. There has to be a point where that faith becomes real for those young people, and it becomes for them personal and not just the faith of somebody else that they want to please. And I do think that there's a point there. The fact is, is that all of us, not just the young people, but all of us have to have our own personal faith. You know, there are people that I know who have been Christians for 30 or 40 years, certainly long past the days when they were just dependent on their on their parents' faith. But they still haven't developed their own kind of of faith some of them come to church just because it's the thing they've always done and not because they have something that drives them inside to be a vital member of the lord's body excuse me and so it's a question that all of us need to ask and certainly this time of year need to ask what is it that drives us to be here why are we here are we here out of habit are we here because we think we're supposed to be here Or is there something within us, namely our own personal faith in Christ, that drives our relationship with God and that drives us to be here? And so Stetzer would say something like this, especially with reference to young people. We need to prepare young adults for the spiritual challenges that will come and the faith questions they will face. First-hand faith leads to life change and lifelong commitment. And I like the notion of preparedness here. He says we need to do something about this, that we have a responsibility as a church to prepare people for the questions and the challenges that they face. In fact, he would say, we need to help our teens and young adults develop their own personal faith. And and the fact is, there's probably nobody here that would disagree with that. I think we all recognize that this needs to happen. We need to have every young person developing their own personal faith rather than just be dependent upon the faith of their parents. The question is, how? And what are we going to do about that? Now, there's another angle to take on this question. We just looked at the question of why do people leave? Okay? What about the question of why it is that people stay? Why is it that people, young people especially, stay in the church? And I think it boils down to one word, and that is relevance. Is The church relevant to the lives of our young people. And in fact, I would say that this is a question that really applies to all of us. Like it's not just young people, but if the church has no relevance to your life. Again, if you're just coming here out of habit Sunday after Sunday, that might be good for two years or three years or four years or five years. I don't think it's going to be good enough for 25 At some point, you're going to say, this this place that I'm meeting with or these people that I'm meeting with just don't have any relevance to my life. And at that point, people tend to drop out. Now, it's interesting. What Stetzer found is that there are some ways in which the church specifically needs to be relevant to young people and that young people themselves are asking the question of relevance. And here are four questions or concerns that young people have in terms of the relevance of the church. First of all, People have said, I'm staying with the church because I want the church to help guide my discussions, or sorry, my decisions in everyday life. I want the church to help with my decisions in everyday life. And so somebody's 19 or they're 20 or they're 21 or whatever, and they're thinking to themselves, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? What's it going to be like for me 15 years from now? And as they make those decisions, they actually want guidance from the church, which I think means that they have relationship. I think it means that there's something going on there between themselves and other people. There's some kind of relevance. Secondly, this is, and this is fascinating to me, young people say, my parents were still married to each other and both attended church, and so it was relevant in terms of my relationships. In other words, the most significant relationship for these young people, the relationship with their parents, in that they found that their parents were still married and still going to church together. And the young people said, that's relevant to me. They looked at that and said, there's something significant about my parents being married together still and going to church. Thirdly, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying before about the pastor thing, the pastor's sermons are relevant to my life. Young people tend not to stay if the pastor's sermons don't speak any relevance to their life, and they tend to stay if they do. And then fourthly, at least one adult from church made a significant investment in me personally and spiritually. And so if you ever think to yourself, I wonder if those young people give a flip about who I am as a 57-year-old. Well, they do, apparently. In fact, they want to have relationship with those who are older. They want, in many cases, to be mentored. They want to learn. They want relationship. And while we all think that they just want to get away from us and blow us off, they're actually interested in what we might say. So those are some reasons why young people actually decided to stay in the church. And if I was to sum all that up in terms of what I think it means, I would say we need to do... That which is nurturing of individual personal faith, like we saw before, the question of has a person got their own faith, and which is relevant. Can we help our young people, and really, I think again it goes for everybody, can we help everyone have a faith which is their own, their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and... Can we do things within the church, teach things within the church that make what we do here somehow relevant to their lives? And if we're able to do that, we're going to have a a much better shot at keeping people in the church and blessing their lives and help them, them to grow. And so Ed Stetzer has done pretty extensive research in terms of what it takes to retain people in churches, and these are the kind of things that he thinks are significant. And I actually tend to agree with him. So, there's a point behind all that. And the point is that the elders have asked me if I would do a series focusing on some of the real questions and challenges to Christianity, especially the kinds of questions and challenges that a young person today might have when it comes with respect to Christian faith. And so, over the next couple of months... That's the kind of thing that we're going to be dealing with. We're going to look at some pretty profound questions that people have about Christian faith. Now, the beauty of it all is that we would like to pretend that it's only the young people who have questions about faith, that it's only those who are 22 years old who wrestle with things when it comes to our faith. But of course it's not, and so the rest of you can all sit here And drink that in and have your questions answered and you will be able to sit back and pretend as though the whole time you were wise and understanding that you had it all nailed. When in reality, all of our questions are somehow going to be addressed, I hope. Not all of our questions, (laughs) that won't work, but I hope that the questions we deal with, that we deal with them in a thorough enough way that we'll have some answers for people. So they've asked me to do this, and I am i have to say I'm excited about it. The fact is, is that our faith is under attack. Like, we find ourselves at every corner, I think, challenged in so many different ways. You may not know just how direct the attacks are against Christianity. Like, for example, did you know that there is a, a category of thinker out there called the new atheist? That there's a thing out there called the new atheism. And it really isn't new at all, but the style of it, the approach of this particular kind of atheism is relatively new. And so there are some thinkers who've written a number of books and challenges to Christian faith in various ways, and they're very direct about it. And they, they, their whole purpose is to say to Christians and really to all religious people, you've got to give this up. In fact, one of their main claims is, is that religion is ruining our world, and we've got to give up this fundamentalist kind of faith that is wrecking everything for the rest of us. And so we are constantly bombarded by these kind of things. Now, even though that's the case, I don't necessarily want to be just defensive. And you know how this is. Somebody comes to you and they say, you believe What? And pretty soon, because you say you believe in something, and they want to challenge it, you feel like you have to go on the defensive. And I don't want to just be defensive. In other words, I don't want to hold on to something just because it's something that I believe and have always believed. Instead, I want to do some searching, serious questions about the Christian faith. The fact is is that I won't do myself a favor, I won't do you a favor, I won't do the young people a favor if all I do is defend traditional positions because they are the traditional positions. What we need is not just a defense of answers that we hold already just because we hold them, but an honest look at the most significant questions about life and faith. And so I want to do this. I want to ask the serious question of whether or not my faith stands up to serious scrutiny. Like, our faith should be able to stand against the toughest questions if God is real. Is Christianity intellectually defensible? And if it's not defensible, why not? And if it is defensible, how is it so? And we are long past the point of just saying to our young people something like, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Our young people will not hear that. In fact, they will see that as being an end run around the real question. And so we've simply got to do better than that. And I'm going to do better than that. Like, we need to ask serious questions about faith, allow serious questions to be asked, and deal with these at a serious level. And not just brush them aside. And so some personal testimony here. My second year of university, I was really challenged with respect to what I believed. So much so that I dropped out of the school that I was going to I transferred schools, I went somewhere else, so that I could look deeply into the things that I believed to see whether or not they were true. So here's the thing my second year of university has never ended. I'm still searching, I'm still looking, I'm still trying to discern whether or not the things. I believe, are true or not. Now, that might scare some of you. You might think, well, you're the preacher. You're the one standing up there. You're supposed to have the answers. You're supposed to be the defender of the faith. You're supposed to consider all the arguments to Christianity and just defeat them right and left, slaying the dragons of atheism everywhere you go. Well, I actually find it challenging and refreshing when someone argues against the Christian faith. Not because I enjoy a good argument and not because I have all the answers, but because it allows me to consider whether or not the things that I believe are true. And if there's something untrue about what I believe, then I want to change that. And I don't really care what it is. If there's something that is untrue about what I want to believe, or about what I believe, I want to change that so that I can be in line with truth. That just makes sense to me. Like it makes no sense to me that we would just continue to utter the same kind of reactions or responses or answers to questions and not really consider those questions at, in their deepest level just so that we can give the same answers we've always given. We need to search things out at a deep level and allow God, in fact, I would say, to help us answer them at a deep level. And if there's something untrue about what we believe... That we need to change it. If we don't really search for the truth, if we only go about this halfway, if we don't allow ourselves to ask the toughest questions and to deal with those, then I just wonder at the end what we have. And so I want real answers to real questions bar none. I want the best atheistic questions to be posed I want the best challenges to the Bible to be asked I want people to give the best reasons for why to them the resurrection makes no earthly sense I want the naturalist to explain the naturalistic origins of the universe in the most convincing way possible I want people to point out the most grievous faults in the church I want people to question God And to point out what they think are his faults. I want our intellectual inconsistencies exposed. Then we can get at what is really the truth. And something that you and I can really stand on. And say this is what we believe. Now at the same time. I expect from my atheist friends. Or from challengers to the faith the same kind of intellectual integrity that I'm hoping to offer myself. I expect from them the same kind of intellectual honesty that they expect from me. If Christianity answers the questions, I expect them to admit it. If there's something intellectually defensible about the Christian faith, I want them to agree that this is the case. And what I find is that so often those who jump ship do so without intellectually sufficient reasons. Often they leave the faith because something else about life is bothering them, not the indefensibility of Christianity. A challenge to Christianity by some atheists is said to be the reason that so and so left the faith when really, it's something else. Because when all things were considered, Christ and faith ended up looking much better intellectually and spiritually than we thought. And that didn't or wasn't really the reason why people left. I can tell you that after 38 years of being a second-year university student and continuing to ask all these questions for so long, still being a searcher, I still find Christianity defensible. Defensible philosophically, intellectually, spiritually, morally, relationally, personally. And so if that's the case, we need to look deeply. We shouldn't be scared of the questions. Like, is there any question that we think is just too profound for God to be able to answer? Like, is there anything where we think to ourselves, man, I hope that nobody ever asked me that one, because for that one, my faith has no answer. If that's the case, then what are we standing on? What do we have to cling to? If there is no answer that God has for some question that can be devised by a human being. And so next week, I'm going to jump right into this. I'm going to deal with the question of truth. Is there such a thing as truth? We're told all the time these days that there isn't. Can there be one religious truth? Does it make sense that there's some kind of exclusive right to truth that Christianity holds? Is it legitimate and defensible? For Christianity to say that it's true and that all the other religions are false, is that intellectually defensible? Or do we finally have to admit that all religions are all pointed in the same direction toward God and that one is as good as another? Does it have to be that way? That's a question we're going to look at next week, and I hope you're here for the discussion. Right now, I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Turn to First Peter chapter three. We're just going to read this text as we close today. It's on, it's on page, oh, what is it? Eight fifty-eight, I think, in the Pew Bible. Eight hundred and fifty-eight in the Pew Bible. And I'll actually start with verse thirteen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. And then watch verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And that's my goal. Like, I want to be ready to give an answer for Christ. At the same time, I'm hoping to be respectful. Having set apart Christ. As my Lord, I'm wanting to give a reason for the hope that I have. I want to do that with gentleness and respect. I want to have a clear conscience. And I think part of having a clear conscience means that I'm not going to just skip over the tough questions, but deal with them and deal with them in a way that is honest and truthful. And if I can't come up with good answers, then I'm going to say, you know what? I don't have a good answer for that one. But I think God's going to be able to answer some questions and we'll do this with some intellectual honesty and some faith, and hopefully, they'll just see in us, others will, good behavior, and there'll be no malicious slander about who we are in Christ, because we dealt with things in an honest way. So I hope you're prepared for that. We're going to do this for the next couple of months. Look at some deep questions about our faith, some challenging questions, and I'm hoping especially that our young people will be able to see that the Christian faith is defensible, that we don't have to just constantly give in to those who are challenges everywhere because we've got little or nothing to say. Let's pray. Lord, this morning I absolutely trust you. I glorify your name. I honor you. And I pray that you'd be with our church as we start this new year, 2016, together. I would pray that it would be a wonderful journey of faith. I pray that you'd bless those who've started with the daily Bible readings and that you'd help them to, to read daily. I pray that those who are part of the asking, who are, have chosen to be uh, conducting the asking program, I pray that you would help them to ask and seek and knock, help them to do that on a daily basis and to not forget about it, be steady with it, faithful with it, help us to read our Bibles together, help us to share with one another what we're doing. Bless our life groups as we discuss uh, what we're doing with the asking. And Father, I pray that that this can be a year of growth for all of us, that we'll move closer to being all that you want us to be. I I pray, God, that you would strengthen our faith and confidence in you and, and prepare us, God, to give constantly a defense of who you are to the world around us. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.